And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal, the full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. You know, everybody keeps hoping that at some point gold's going to come back and actually start to hedge for inflation. Um, what you need for that is fear. Gold is much more, and particularly since 2000, is much more of a kind of almost like a volatility index than it is a, a inflation hedge. And what you need is fear in the markets, and which right now you don't have. So <laughs> I saw this great um, kind of this great meme on Twitter the other day. It shows this kid, he's, you know, crying and and his dad's looking at him and he says like what's wrong and he says i thought there was going to be inflation so i bought gold <laughs> and his father says dummy you should have bought bitcoin and it's kind of the, that's kind of the meme right now and you know that's just kind of where we are but you know there's no demand for a fear trade now eventually there will be and i suspect that once you begin to get a real fear trade in and particularly if that fear trade is coincident with a surging headline inflation rate that you know gold will probably start to perform but again until it starts to show some signs of life technically i'm not going to invest capital in it and again we've owned gold previous don't think that i'm a, an anti-gold bug or anything like that we own gold from time to time we've bought gold miners from time to time and you know we've traded those and and for us gold is a commodity gold miners are an equity and so we trade them like any other thing that we trade in our portfolios, right? We look for opportunity, we buy it cheap, we sell it when it gets expensive, um, and we watch momentum. So if momentum is not working, then we're going to move capital somewhere else. So again, right now, we don't own gold in our portfolios, but we might eventually um, when it begins to show some real signs of life. So you know, again, timing is everything, as they say, when you're investing. And, and, be, and this is something to be really careful of. And I get this a lot from people. They go, well, I bought this whatever it was, um, you know, as a long-term investment. And I'm like, great. Okay. So when did you buy it? It's like, well, I bought it last month. Okay. Well, it's not working. What should I do with it? Should I sell it? It's like, well, I thought you bought it for a long-term investment. <laughs> um, look, when you're investing money, you're betting on the future and there is no, nobody knows the future. Things change. Um, so always manage your portfolio from a standpoint of, yeah, it's, it's great to have a long-term view. We own stocks in our portfolio that we have a very long-term view on. And that's great. But if they aren't working, I'm going to move that capital somewhere else. Now, I'll come back to that company or that investment when it starts to show some signs of life. But I don't have to just have dead money sitting in my portfolio. And this is one of the mistakes that investors make a lot is they have a losing position, so they'll sit on it, hoping it'll come back. And what you wind up with eventually is a whole bunch of portfolio positions that aren't working and none that are, that are working, right? So you, your portfolio gets entirely on the wrong side of the market because you keep waiting for whatever wasn't working to come back. And markets rotate. You know, we've seen this numerous times and we've seen it more and it happens faster today than it happens before i mean these rotations in markets from small cap to mid cap to large cap and back to small cap it happen happens quickly right i mean it's like small caps are booming for about a month or two and then it's done value right last year this time we were talking about the benefit of value investing and value had a moment in the sun for about three months and that was it and everybody goes well, i'm going back to tech stocks because they can move a lot faster. But that's where we are in the market. So just understand that investing is great, but you're just simply betting on the future. So manage your risk and your investments accordingly. Because our goal is to make to make money on our capital. That's what our goal is and you know, we can have great theses, right? I can I can argue with you all day long on the value of gold and the and the value of fundamental valuations. Why you should buy stocks with cheap PEs. I can, we can argue that all day long. I can show you 130 years of financial history that shows you why value investing wins over time. Problem is we're not in a market right now where value works. 
Now, eventually we'll get there. And when we get there, guess what? We'll be buying value stocks. But right now, 33% of the S&P 500 is made up of the top 10 stocks. Let me give you a quick stat. Out of the S&P 500 index, 10 stocks make up 33% of the index. It takes the bottom 462 stocks to make up the same market cap as the top 10. Okay, that's not the way the index should, should be working. But the reason that the market is sitting at all-time highs is because those top 10 stocks are going up. The bottom 462 stocks have been getting rocked lately. But again, when a company like, say, DocuSign loses 40% of its value, it's such a small constituent weight in the index, it doesn't show up. Or it's not in the S&P. You know, a lot of these companies like Palantir and, uh, you know, a lot of the ARK stocks that are owned by Kathy Wood, they're not in the S&P 500. So they don't impact the index. So we're sitting all talking about, you know, a market near all-time highs. You take a look at the CNBC 50 index, and a lot of those stocks are down 40, 50, 60% from their 52-week highs. So underneath the surface, there's been a lot of people having their shorts yanked down. But if you own the top 10 stocks in the S&P, not so bad. You know, and, and that's, that's the problem. <laughs> I uh, put a tweet out this morning. I said, I'm starting a new index. It's called the Jackson 5. <laughs> and I'm gonna, all I'm going to do is buy the five largest stocks in the S&P index and rebalance them monthly. And the performance of that would have killed the S&P 500 over the last couple of years. In fact, 70% of the entire advance from six months ago has been the top five stocks in the S&P. So there you go. Now, the problem with that, of course, is when the Jackson 5 becomes the Alabama 5. And they don't work anymore. And they're all sitting on their back porch drinking beer with their dog named Bo. When that happens, the index is going to be in trouble. But until that point, money is hiding in these companies. And the, re and the reason these stocks continue to go up is because that's where all the capital is hiding. See, if I buy a stock like DocuSign as an example, it's a good example. It's a, it's a good recent example because it was down 40% a day. You know, if I got to get out of that stock and I've got a lot of capital in it because I'm a, you know, I, I run a multi-billion dollar, you know, mutual fund as an example. If I've got to get out of that stock position and I start to sell, there's nobody there to buy those shares from me and I wind up with a 40% decline. I can't afford that to happen. So all these mutual funds and hedge funds, they've got all this capital that they've got to keep invested because they have to keep it invested. They've got to make a return, right? They've got to beat the index or at least match the index or they're going to lose assets, right? They, they, so they have career risk if they don't match performance. But the risk they run is that they buy a bunch of small companies and they try to get out of them, then all of a sudden they have big drawdowns. They can't get out of them. There's no liquidity in the markets. So they're all hiding. Everybody's hiding. We are too. <laughs> We're doing it too. We're all hiding in the Apples, the Microsofts, the Amazons, those companies, NVIDIA. We're all hiding a big chunk of our capital in those companies because I can get into it and get out of it very quickly and not move the price. There's so many shares traded every day. I can move in and out and not even show up on the radar in terms of affecting the price. A lot of other companies that can't do that. And the problem with a lot of these other companies is like with DocuSign, you wake up one morning, you're down 40% and you're like, well, what the hell just happened? How did I just lose half my money? And that's not the kind of risk you want in your portfolio. So this is the environment that we're in, right? And so, you know, all of this matters as we head into next year. Go by the website. And uh, we've got an article out this morning talking about the CNBC 50 index. I mean, that's, that is the kind of sign of exuberance in the markets right now. 
Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Don't let 2022 be a repeat of the past year. Join Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso for their essential smart money tips for the new year candid coffee event on Saturday, January 15th. You'll learn the landmines to avoid, tax advantages we see, and money tips you need to know in the new year. Register now for our next Candid Coffee at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. Hi, Lance Roberts here. If you're like most people, your 401k plan represents the bulk of your retirement assets. And unfortunately for many, managing your 401k plan can be difficult. There's so many choices, so many things to consider. With just a quick email, a couple of questions, you can put RIA advisors to work for you managing your 401k plan. Get started right now at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, or simply call our toll-free number, 855-RIA-PLAN, or again, simply online at realinvestmentadvice.com. Small businesses are discovering that attracting and retaining top talent come down to more than just salary. In today's highly competitive job market, compensation is more than just wages. Hi, I'm Tom Allen. RIA Advisors Retirement Plan Consultant. Healthcare and retirement plans can make the difference in hiring and retaining the best employees. We can show you how to build an affordable, effective employment package that delivers true value for your workers and your business. Call me toll-free at 855-RIA-PLAN or online at realinvestmentadvice.com. And now, another page from the Real Investment Advisors Investing Manifesto. Bulls win in bull markets. Bears win in bear markets. Eagles soar above and take advantage of opportunity. Let us help you soar as you reach your financial goals with RIA Advisors. Neither bull nor bear. RIA Advisors, 281-501-1791 or online at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Of course, you're listening to The Real Investment Show. So a couple of things, uh, you know, that, you know, um, happened over the weekend, of course, is we kind of look at where we are in terms of the markets and kind of where we're moving forward. And, of course, you know, lots of selling here over the last week or so in particular. And obviously, this is we, we've been through this numerous times this year. And it's amazing, really, psychologically, how fast people move from fear back to greed. And we've had several sell-offs this year. If you go back to February, March of this year, we had a big tech route back in March. And people were, uh, you know, and we were down almost 5% at that point, And it was terrible. And the world was ending. And, you know, Kathy Wood's arc was getting destroyed at that point. And, you know, People couldn't figure out what was going on, and you know this was the end of the bull market. And then, of course, we rallied back. And as soon as the market started rallying back, everybody's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, we're we're it's all good. We're we're back to all time highs, right?" And, you know, in about every month, we get this correction back to the fifty day moving average, and we kind of go through the same, you know, panic driven headline rush that we get on the markets. I mean, you know, markets in turmoil all in the month of October. You know, we had this market sell off and. I'm sorry, in September, we had this market sell-off. It was almost 5% down from the peak every day on CNBC. Markets in turmoil, markets in turmoil. So it's, you know, we go through this, and and really this emotional gyration is driven a lot by what we see on the media. And, you know, it's, it's it's a constant battle with the media over, you know, what's actually happening in the markets versus what they tell you. And... You know, this is something I was on. Uh, I was on Fox Business on Friday with Charles Payne. We were talking about this very same thing because you know, back in mid-November, we were right before Thanksgiving, writing about, "Hey, mutual fund distributions are coming. This happens every year." And with a very, with a liquidity, you know, structure in the markets, it's very thin. It doesn't take a lot of selling to exacerbate some downside. And yet, you know, you know, back in November, we had people record long call options. We were writing about that in the newsletter. Yeah, lots of speculation and, and, you know, very extended markets and a lot of things. You know, stocks had been making big, big moves. We had seen stocks moving very quickly to the upside. And of course, when there's no liquidity, and we've talked about this before, is that 
there's a lot of, there, you know, there's a few people willing to buy at current levels. And so sellers and buyers are kind of sort of matched at this point. And, and you know, we're seeing that type of, of movement, right? Very light volume and internal breath, really not very good. The number of stocks above their 50-day moving average, 200-day moving average is not healthy. We've talked about that narrowness of the breath that, you know, and the problem with that comes down to this liquidity issue. And, and the liquidity issue really shows itself when the markets are selling off because that's where you see things like you saw on Friday with DocuSign down 40% a day. This is a good company. It was very overvalued, right? Speculators have been chasing in into DocuSign because of this whole, you know, work at home structure, you know, we're all going to have to sign contracts on computers now and because nobody's ever going to work in an office again. So stock had gotten really overvalued. And this lack of liquidity really showed up on Friday when the stock was down 40% in a day. Now, they had some disappointing guidance, but it wasn't worth a 50%, you know, a 40% haircut to the valuation of the company. But that's that problem with liquidity because there's no real buyers up here. The buyers are much lower. And so when there's a lot of people that want to sell, buyers are going, yeah, I'll buy it from you at this price. And you may not like it, but that's where you sell it. And this has to go with, and again, I said we talked a little bit about managing risk because this was the email that I got over the weekend. It was like, well, how do I manage risk? How do I hedge risk? Well, hedging risk is not complicated. You just have to be willing to give up something to hedge. And see, this is the problem for most investors. And I get this all the time. People come in and go, oh, I'm, I'm super conservative or I'm super aggressive, you know, whatever it is. And then when the market does the opposite of what they think they are, then they want the opposite, right? So, you know, if they come in and they say, oh, I'm really conservative, and the markets are running up 10 or 15%. It's like, well, I, we need to, you know, I, you know, why am I not beating the index, right? Well, because you said you were conservative, your allocation set up that way. Or I'm super aggressive, and now you're down 5 or 10%. You're going, you know, why am I losing so much money? Well, because the market's going down, and you're super aggressive. So psychology is important. And you've got to understand that if you're going to hedge for risk, that means you've got to lower your expectation for return somewhat. And think about it this way. You have two choices. When you're driving your car, you can drive your car with a brake or without a brake. Now, you can drive your car without a brake, right? I can take, take the brakes out of your car, send you off to work. <laughs> you may get there. But as long as you're on the freeway, you're fine, right? Because everybody's moving the same direction. And as long as nobody screws up somewhere in front of you, you really don't need a break. Right? You, you just flow right along with traffic. It's all fine. The problem comes is that when you need the break, right? And you don't have one. And this is the same thing with a portfolio. You know, if you want to get the maximum return out of your portfolio, you want to track a benchmark index you have to do that without a break. And as, a, and as a consequence of that, you are going to have to suffer the ebbs and the flows of the market. If you want to beat the index, you've got to take on more risk than the index. Which means now your accelerator is tied to the floor and you have no break. <laughs> So you have to take on a lot more risk. Now, again, it may be fine for a while. The problem becomes when something goes wrong. So part of investing is figuring out what it is that you're trying to achieve and figuring out a way to get to your goal without completely crashing yourself along the way. And this is what we forget. You know, my goal is to make... Five, six, seven percent a year, whatever that number is. We call it in, in our shop, we call it a hurdle rate. So when we do your financial plan, and, and Danny and Richard do, and John Penn do a great job of this, 
but they go through the financial plan with you and they say, okay, look, in order to meet this goal, you want to have X dollars in the, the bank real- at, at retirement, you're going to need this much money. And to get there, based on what you have today, we need to make about 4% a year, 5% a year, whatever that number is. That's your hurdle rate. And if you hit that number every year, you're going to get to your goal. Now, does that mean that once you get to 4 or 5% that you just cash in all your chips for the year and go home? You could do that, right? <laughs> but, you know, the goal is saying, look, we want to make sure that we control risk so that we don't lose 30 or 40% of your money and then have to make that up. Plus, and this is what everybody forgets, right? The, the, you know, the whole buy and hold analysis, you know, that people preach on, on television they forget to tell you this one very important fact. They go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if, if we're buying and holding, you're going to make money long term. And sure, there's going to be periods of time where you lose money, but markets always come back. Well, here's the one little aspect they, they forget to tell you about buy and hold investing. If I'm supposed to make 5 or 6% a year and I lose 50% of your money, Right. Now, eventually, the markets are going to come back. So you're going to make your 50 or 60% of your money back. So let's say, you know, hey, let's go back to 2008, right? 2008, market crashes, you lose 50% of your money. And the markets got back to even in 2017 to where we were back in 2015. Or sorry, 2008. So it took this whole long period of time to get back to even. So that's fine, right? So you get back to even. But they forget to tell you about the five, six, seven, eight years between the previous peak and where you, and, and getting back to even that you still have to make up for because you needed five or six or seven percent a year, whatever your number was, for all those years. So if you had five percent a year compounded, and this is the other you know big myth of the markets, is that markets compound, they don't. But now you've got to make up that 50% loss plus all the years that you didn't make a 5, 6, 7% rate of return. And that's why most people don't reach their financial goals. If they look, if investing was as easy as everybody says it was, then why is it that, you know, hardly anybody, 80% of Americans have less than $500 in the bank and less than one year salary saved up? Investing's not easy because of these very these very issues. Seems easy at times, but it's not. So hedging risk and and understanding that you can hedge risk, but you have to give up something for that hedge. It's not a free thing. But hedging risk is a very simple process. And there's some very simple ways to do that. But before you start going in and saying, oh, I'm going to hedge the risk in my portfolio, you've got to understand what that means. And that means that you are applying a break to your portfolio. It will lower your returns. You cannot have a lower risk portfolio and match the benchmark index. Just doesn't work that way. And guess what? There's nothing wrong with that. If you protect the downside risk of your portfolio, in other words, when the markets are down 15 or 20 or 30% and you're down 3, 4, 5%, you getting yourself back to even and begin to accrue value towards your retirement goals happens much quicker than those trying to play catch up from a major market decline. So I, I said we talk about hedging risk. So now we understand that you know risk hedging risk requires giving up something we'll talk about how to actually hedge risk and some opportunities when we come back from the break i'm real science roberts on the real investment show don't go away investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com don't let 2022 be a repeat of the past year join danny ratliff and richard rosso for their essential smart money tips for the new year candid coffee event on saturday january 15th you'll learn the landmines to avoid tax advantages we see 
and money tips you need to know in the new year. Register now for our next Candid Coffee at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. Have the market's gyrations made you nervous? If so, it's because you have more risk in your portfolio than you realize. It's time to reevaluate your long-term investing strategy with RIA Advisors. Our disciplined approach can help eliminate unnecessary risk. We do that by having both a buy and sell discipline. Does your advisor do that? If you think it's time to work with an advisor who puts your interests first, it's time for real investment advice. RIA Advisors, 855-RIA-PLAN, riaadvisors.com. And now, another page from the Real Investment Advisors Investing Manifesto. A passive investment portfolio requires active risk management. It's not a choice, it's necessity diversification doesn't protect against risk of loss. Let us actively help you reach your financial goals with RIA Advisors. Neither bull nor bear. RIA Advisors. 281-501-1791 or online at realinvestmentadvice.com. Can't catch the whole show now? Listen to our podcast later at realinvestmentadvice.com. Going to test your math skills bright and early this morning. Driving into work, I'm going to give you a math question. Uh, today is my wife's 39th birthday for the 11th time. Awesome. Yeah, well, you know, everything's 39s now, the new 29. Yeah. And right, happy birthday, dear. Love you. So do you have anything big planned? We're kind of getting to the point to where it's just like we just want to spend time together without our kids. So the Real Investment Show podcast, same show, your schedule at realinvestmentadvice.com. Small businesses are discovering that attracting and retaining top talent come down to more than just salary. In today's highly competitive job market, compensation is more than just wages. Hi, I'm Tom Allen, RIA Advisors Retirement Plan Consultant. Healthcare and retirement plans can make the difference in hiring and retaining the best employees. We can show you how to build an affordable, effective employment package that delivers true value for your workers and your business. Call me toll-free at 855-RIA-PLAN or online at realinvestmentadvice.com. Real Investment Show podcasts are now available from Stitcher Smart Radio at Stitcher.com. Hi, Lance Roberts here. If you're like most people, your 401k plan represents the bulk of your retirement assets. And unfortunately for many, managing your 401k plan can be difficult. There's so many choices, so many things to consider. With just a quick email, a couple of questions, you can put RIA Advisors to work for you managing your 401k plan. It's a quick and easy application. Just simply click Ask a Question at realinvestmentadvice.com or give us a call at 855-RIA-PLAN. That's realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show YouTube page has all of our videos ready for your easy access. From three minutes on markets and money to each day's radio shows, subscribe and bookmark our YouTube channel for The Real Investment Show. Or just click on the show links at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. You know, so I was just listening to that commercial about Coach Murphy, my doctor. So if you don't know the story, I went to I, I tore my knee up running and uh, I went to see my uh, doctor, who's a niece, an orthopedic surgeon, and um, went in and saw him. And I call him Coach Murphy because his his remedy is always rub some dirt on it and walk it off. And so I've been hobbling around here for, you know, a couple of weeks, but I've been doing exactly what he told me, right? He, he gave me some stretches to do, and he gave me this box of Tic Tacs. He said, take this, and you'll be fine. I'll be son of a gun. I'm completely fine. The magic of Tic Tacs. Exactly. And, but, no, I mean, I'm, you know, I did what he said, and, and you know, so I'm back to normal, and I've been I'm back to running. So Great. Yeah. No, yeah. it's all good. I was just like, Problem solved. But no, it's all good, though. I definitely didn't want to have surgery, but, you know, he's just this, he's this crotchety old guy. You got to love it. Anyway, uh, so before the break, talking a little bit about hedging. So, we, you know, the, the, the point I want you to understand, and this is the mistake that people make, is that, you know, hedging risk requires you to give up something. And people think they want to hedge. People always think they want to hedge risk when markets are going down. Then as soon as the market's going up, they go, well, I don't want to hedge, right? The markets are going up. You know, that's not how hedging risk works, and that's not how portfolio management works. But you've got to you've got to you've got to pick your poison, right? You either are going to 
suffer the slings and arrows of market declines when they occur if you're going to be aggressively allocated. The more aggressively allocated you are, the more that's going to hurt. Or you can learn to live with a little less and have much better returns long-term. It just depends on what you want. But I said when we come back from the break that we talk a little bit about how to actually hedge risk. See, and that's the important question. How do you do it? Right? There's, there's, there's tons of ways to hedge risk. The easiest way, I know this is a complicated one, so you know, just if you're driving, I suggest you pull over and pull out a notepad because I'm going to you know, really get into this for you. Sell something. Raise a little cash. If you have less money, so if, if your portfolio is 100% equities and you're tracking the S&P 500, if you want to hedge risk, in other words, you want to lower how much you're going to lose when the markets go down, sell something. I know it's complicated, right? Another way to do that. Okay, well, let's back up real quick, too. Uh, let me, let me, I'm going to. Let me say something about selling something because people always take this wrong. We regularly write, and so if you haven't subscribed to our newsletter, I really suggest you're missing something uh, in your in your weekly analysis because we go through every weekend kind of what's going on in the markets. We talk about risk management. We also tell you exactly what we're doing in our portfolios, and we write often about, hey, we're taking profits in this. We're reducing sizing in this. We're adding money to this. You know, those type of things. And when people say or when people read that we are taking profits, they assume we're selling everything in our portfolio and going to cash. That is not what we're saying. And I'm not suggesting that's what you should do. But, you know, if you have a stock that's, uh, let's say that, you know, one of, the, one of the basic rules of portfolio risk management is sizing your positions. And any great trader will tell you about the importance of sizing your positions. It's essentially the same thing as when you're betting on a hand of poker, how much do you bet? It depends on the strength of your hand. So size your positions. If you're taking a lot of risk with a position of fundamentally poor, uh, poor stock, as an example, have a smaller position in your portfolio. So if your normal position size in your portfolio is, let's say you structure your portfolio that you're going to have 60% of your portfolio in, in stocks, so you're going to have 12 positions to manage, so you have 5% in each position, right? Something like that. So you've got 12 stocks you've got to manage, you've got 60% exposure, 100% exposure, whatever it is. You have a maximum position size for each position in your portfolio. So let's say your normal position size is five, but you're going to take a, a flyer on a really risky stock. So your maximum position size is two in that one. But see, we get greedy. And we go, yeah, but this stock's really going up. So I'm going to put a whole lot more money into it. And it's great until you wind up with a DocuSign that loses 40% in a single day. And that's not uncommon. In this market, particularly, that is not uncommon. So size your risk. That's a way to hedge risk. So if that 2% flyer in DocuSigns becomes 3 or 4% of your portfolio because it's gone up so much, reduce it back to 2%. Take your profits. Old saying is nobody ever went broke taking profits. But that way, when the stock makes a 40% plunge, you're playing with house money, not your money. So sell something. Reduce the amount of risk. When the, when, when the S&P gets very extended above its long-term means and we start talking about, you know, on, on the show about, hey, markets are very overbought here, be a little bit cautious, raise a little bit of cash. Raise a little bit of cash is code word for sell something. It's not complicated. All right, another way to hedge. Buy something that goes up when the market goes down. What could that be? How about bonds? got a chart of a 10-year treasury if you're driving don't worry about it it's okay i'll explain it bonds have been going up while the market's been going down not surprising this is simply a function of risk on risk off 
psychology for the markets. When markets are under selling pressure, money's got to go somewhere because as a portfolio manager, I've got to be allocated because if I'm not, if I don't have your money allocated, and this goes for mutual funds, hedge funds, private equity funds, etc. I can't charge you a fee for sitting on cash. So as a portfolio manager, when markets are going down, I've got to put that money somewhere. So if I'm you know, raising profits, uh, you know, taking profits out of some area of my portfolio, money tends to go somewhere else. So it's a risk-off, risk-on mindset. And, and with bonds here lately, bonds have had a great run as the market's been selling off. So now we're talking about potentially a short-term rally in the markets. And that's because, look, take a look at bonds right now. They're, they're more than two standard deviations above their 50-day moving average. That is very outside the norm. And historically, when that occurs, you're going to get a pullback in bond prices. In other words, yields go up a bit as bond prices pull back because money's coming from risk off, being safety back into risk on, being stocks. And so you get a short-term rally. Don't be surprised if we don't see that in the next couple of weeks. That setup in bonds right now suggests that bonds are very overbought. So if you've been long bonds, then you may want to take a little bit of money off the table. And that's okay. Bonds work just like stocks. They go up and down in price. So take a little money off bonds. Put in cash for the moment. If you're not sure what to do with your cash, it's okay to hold cash. That's item three to hedge your portfolio. Cash is a risk-free hedge. It doesn't go up or down in value. I can hold money in cash, and I can figure out what to do next. I can wait for an opportunity to do something, whether it's to buy bonds or Bitcoin or whatever it is I want to buy. I can wait for the right opportunity. And this is important, right? Because that is the whole value of investing. See, that we've, we've also come, you know, the media has driven us to think that we have to be invested all the time or we're missing out. Let me ask you a question. If houses were the only investment vehicle on the planet, would you go buy a house every day because you've got cash? No, of course not. But that's what we think about with stocks. Let's go back to poker. We use poker as a, a, a good analogy to the stock market. It's the same thing. It's the purest form of speculation. When you're betting on a poker hand, do you bet all in every hand? No, of course not. So whoever said you had to be invested in the markets at all times, always? You don't. There's nothing wrong with sitting on some cash, waiting for the right opportunity to come along to buy something that is A, a good value, and B, a real opportunity. That's the whole premise of investing to start with. Okay. Now, we can get more complicated with hedging. There's options. You can buy put options to hedge downside risk in your portfolio. You can write call options to... to lock-in gains in a particular stock, raise a little bit of premium. There's a lot of things. I, I'm not going to get into a big, long options conversation this morning because it's very. It, it does get very kind of convoluted because there's so many variations of strategies you can use with options. But if you understand options and understand how to use them, you know, using put options is a way to hedge your portfolio. You can buy out-of-the-money puts on the S&P to hedge your equity longs in your portfolio, we, we have a portfolio structure we call a platinum model that we use for high net worth investors. Exactly what we do. We buy long, long dated out of the money put options to hedge our portfolio risk against a decline just like this. So those things can help. But the important thing here is hedging risk is not complicated. And, and it sounds kind of like hedging risk. It sounds like it's, it's, it's complicated. It's not. It really comes down to two words. Sell something. That's hedging risk. Raising some cash, taking some profits, repositioning your portfolio, rebalancing your portfolio. Look, if you've got a lot of stuff that's had huge gains, move them back to your original weights. If you've got stuff that's very that has not been performing, maybe you want to think about getting rid of those things. Losing money in positions is risk also because it's dragging down the performance of your whole portfolio. 
So if you need help, go by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Send us an email. Happy to help you out with your portfolio and, and helping you figure out how to hedge risk if you need it. Realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back to wrap up the show. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Don't let 2022 be a repeat of the past year. Join Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso for their essential smart money tips for the new year candid coffee event on Saturday, January 15th. You'll learn the landmines to avoid, tax advantages we see, and money tips you need to know in the new year. Register now for our next Candid Coffee at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. Do you know what you don't know when hiring and retaining quality employees? Compensation is more than just wages. It's personal time off, the vacation days, healthcare benefits, a 401k. Do you know what's important to them? Hi, I'm Tom Allen, RIA Advisors Retirement Plan Consultant. Let us show you how to make the most of an affordable, effective package that will deliver true value for your business and your employees. Call me toll-free at 855-RIA-PLAN or online at realinvestmentadvice.com. Hi, Lance Roberts here. If you're like most people, your 401k plan represents the bulk of your retirement assets. And unfortunately for many, managing your 401k plan can be difficult. There's so many choices, so many things to consider. With just a quick email, a couple of questions, you can put RIA advisors to work for you managing your 401k plan. Get started right now at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, or simply call our toll-free number, 855-RIA-PLAN, simply online at realinvestmentadvice.com. And now, another page from the Real Investment Advisors Investing Manifesto. Manage risk and volatility rather than trying to manage gains. You don't have to be right all the time. Long-term investing success is a 70% gain. Let us help you reach your financial goals with RIA Advisors. Neither bull nor bear. RIA Advisors. 281-501-1791 or online at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm Rose Lance Roberts. So a couple of things here um, as we kind of get ready to wrap up the show. Interestingly enough, Social Security. I'm writing an article now. The latest Social Security Administration report uh, was just recently out. Um, and, you know, it's not getting any better. And, and so I'm writing a report kind of going back in history, looking at kind of where we are on Social Security. And it's interesting because we talk about the idea with Social Security is that we're just going to make a few tweaks and changes here. You know, we'll, you know, we can raise the retirement age to, you know, 65, 67, 72, 912, you know, whatever the number is. And, you know, maybe we kind of adjust some benefits and we can array and, and raise Social Security taxes. And that'll fix the problem. Sounds logical, but we've done it before. In fact, we've done it multiple times throughout history. And each time that we've done these changes, raising the retirement age, increasing the Social Security tax, it never fixes the problem because the estimates are always wrong. Bad calculus, underestimating demand, whatever it is. One of the bigger problems, of course, is that we keep adding more and more beneficiaries to the roles. You know, initially when Social Security was first put together back in 1935 under Roosevelt, it was just for people retiring and needed this kind of social welfare net. And there were 16 payers in for every person taking money out of Social Security at the time. So it was well-funded, no problems. Of course, as politicians figured out that, you know, giving away free money gets votes, they started coming up with more and more ideas to add people to the Social Security welfare roles. So we added wives and we added stay-at-home uh, workers. We added, you know, firemen and 
you know, uh, disabled people. And I mean, just just a just a, a plethora of individuals. In fact, any group that was thought to be underserved were added to the roles, railroads. They were added to the roles of Social Security. Of course, as you add more and more people taking money out of Social Security, you need more and more people paying into Social Security, right? I mean, that just kind of makes sense. But the problem is twofold. One, you're adding people to the roles faster than your growing workers. So all these estimates that we have is like, well, if we just raise taxes on Social Security, on the workers then we'll have enough to meet the liabilities in the future. But we never do. A couple of reasons for that. Demographics. We talk about demography as destiny quite a bit here on the show because that is the one thing that you can mathematically calculate over time. You take the number of people that are being born and immigrating, and you can pretty much calculate down to the point of where they're going to die. And you can very quickly predict, based on that analysis, what your future payrolls are going to be, what your future tax collection is going to be, etc. Now, as I said, back in 1935, we had 16 people paying into Social Security for every person taking out of it. Today, it's barely above two. Again, the reason is, is you're adding a lot more people to the beneficiary roles and you're not growing the population fast enough either by natural birth or immigration to offset the number of people you're adding into the pool it's interesting there was an article out over the weekend this is really what what kind of spurred my research and and got me to uh, uh working on this new study published by the archives of sexual behavior was out and shows that Americans had a lot less sex in 2018 compared to 2009. Researchers from the Center of Sexual Health Promotion at Indiana University School of Public Health made the discovery by comparing data in 2009 and 2018 from participants of the National Survey of Sexual Health and Behavior. From the current analysis, lead author Dr. Debbie Herbenick and her colleagues examined the responses of 4,100 individuals from 2009 and 4,500 individuals from 2018, specifically focusing on how often they reported having sexual relationships. Now, they're talking about heterosexual, just to be clear. Because heterosexual sex is what produces birth. Okay, so just, just making, that, making that clear. Right. Here's what they found out. The report found that they found that while 24 percent of adults reported not having sex over the prior year in 2009, 28 percent reported not having intercourse over the prior year in 2018. So the number of people having sex, not having sex went up. Now, here was the interesting part. Why? Now. A couple of reasons now. The reasons for Americans not having as much sex as they were before is, is kind of a bit of speculation, but the speculation I thought was interesting because it, it kind of talks a lot about where we are in society, right? They note that compared to 2009, adolescents and younger adults are drinking less alcohol. Now, it's interesting because I have a lot of friends in the bar business. And one thing that they have bemoaned over the last few years is the impact of dating applications, things like Tinder and Match and others, where people no longer go to bars to meet people, right? Back in the day, we actually went to bars, hung out, had drinks, danced, you know, whatever, and that's how we met other people. Nowadays, most of that happens, a lot of, I shouldn't say most of it, a lot of it happens you know, on phone applications, swipe left, swipe right. Brent's a constant swipe lefter for other people. <laughs> other reasons? Spending more time on social media and playing video games. In other words, 
people's relationships are online more than they are on in person. And, you know, we've talked about this before is that, you know, a lot of individuals, they they play video games online and they have entire friendships online of people they actually never meet. But they're very good friends with these people that they play with online, even though they've never met in real life. Same thing for social media. I've got 5,000 very close friends on social media. Never met one of them. Right? It's hard to have sex that way. Now, why is this important? Again, demography is destiny. If you take a look at fertility rates of Americans, we are now at the lowest level of fertility rates for women ever in history in the United States. Problem with that, of course, is that without fertility rates going up, you have a demographic problem. And all these estimates about securing Social Security and we're just going to raise the age a little bit and we're going to do this or do that, and that'll fix the problem and that's going to make Social Security solvent. It's not true. Here's a number for you. $93 trillion. $93 trillion. The current debt in the United States, federal debt, is approaching $30 trillion. That's just the federal debt. $93 trillion is the unfunded liabilities of Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. That's what's got to be paid. Now, a lot of people in the financial industry say, oh, don't worry about it. You know, it, you're not going to lose any of your Social Security benefits. It's fine. Don't worry about it. We'll just issue more debt. We'll have to issue $93 trillion in debt. That's today. Every year that will go up because you're adding more and more people to the rolls and you have less and less people paying in. And now we're adding more and more claimants to that role. Now we want to do paid leave and we want to do paid medical care and we want to do free college and we want to do all these other things, right? It's got to be paid for. You can pay for it through higher taxes. Nobody wants to do that. So we're going to have to pay for it with debt. And the problem is, is that by paying more in debt for it, we continue to increase the interest expense, which takes more of the revenue that we have coming in from taxes just to pay the interest expense on the debt and leaves less and less money to fund the other mandatory requirements of the budget. What are the other mandatory requirements of the budget, Lance? Could you tell us? Yes. That's Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, prescription drug benefits, social welfare. That's the problem. The problem is that the Social Security problem is not fixable without increasing the population paying into it. That's a problem that we can't solve. Anyway, I've got a report coming on that out in the next uh, next week or so. So as soon as we get that up for you, I'll, I'll let you know. But we go through the entire analysis and tell you where we are and what the expectations are and how to fix it, right? That's uh, all coming up in a, in a report on Social Security. Uh, in the meantime, get by the website. Our latest report is out on the website talking about the Fed will cause the next crisis as they attempt to raise interest rates. That's on the website now. I'm your host, Lance Roberts, realinvestmentadvice.com. That's realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll see you tomorrow. It's a rich man's world.